somebody else, y'all can turn to Zechariah 6. Zechariah 6. Justin, where do you coach? Kel, that's what I thought. 12 people, 12 kids on the football team got saved. It's amazing. Did y'all win the game? There you go. (laughs) Two for two. All right. For those of you that came to the prayer walk and that little gathering at First Methodist yesterday, I appreciate y'all doing that. Those Saturday mornings are not easy. So uh, we're thankful for those of you that came. It was a good time. All right, we got a lot to do, so we're just going to jump in. Zechariah's last vision, February 15th, 519 B.C., eight visions in one night. We're going to look at the eighth one today. I looked up again, and there before me were four chariots coming out from between two mountains, mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, second black, the third white, and the fourth dappled, all of them powerful. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, what are these, my Lord? And the angel answered, These are the four spirits of heaven going out from standing in the presence of the Lord of the whole world. The one with the black horses is going towards the north country. The one with the white is following. Your Bible may say towards the west is following is better understanding. And the one with the dappled horses towards the south. When the powerful horses went out, they were straining to go throughout the earth. And he said, go throughout the earth. So they went throughout the earth. Then he called to me, look. Those going towards the north country have given my spirit rest in the land of the north. So, uh, we don't get tons of information. Zechariah sees this vision and he asks the angel, what are these? And the angel says, these four chariots, those are the four spirits of heaven, which doesn't help us a ton because we don't know what the four spirits of heaven are. I would say maybe best way to understand is those are, um, we'll call them divine warriors or angelic army, something like that. Chariots were only used or primarily used in a military setting. So seeing these four horses that are powerful with chariots, the picture that would come to your mind is they're fighting. They're fighting for us. These are God is sending out his servants, angels, divine beings to fight uh, for his people and to fight on his behalf. They're coming from two mountains that are made of bronze. We know mountains aren't made of bronze. Uh, the temple, Solomon's temple, had these massive bronze columns, 27 feet tall, 15 feet around, massive. And if you wanted to walk in the temple, you had to go through those columns. So I'm thinking that's what those two bronze mountains represent. And so what we have, we know, and, and the Jews knew that. They knew God didn't live on the earth, but the idea was God's presence was localized in the temple. And so if you've got these chariots that are coming from these two bronze mountains, it's a picture of God sending out his warriors from his presence. The temple being the place where God's presence is localized on the earth. I don't think the colors, there may be significance. I don't know what it is. You can try to figure that out if you want. I don't think there's a ton of significance to the colors of the horses. The angel doesn't say anything about that for sure. There's not very much in the Old Testament about colors. They go to the north and to the south. And so if you're Again, one of the Jews, and you're sitting there, you're listening to Zechariah tell you this. To the south is Egypt. Those are the guys that enslaved your ancestors for 400 years. And to the north is Babylon. Babylon's not directly north, but when they invaded, they came from the north because there was a big desert um, to, uh, to the west of Palestine. So they would come down from the north. And so when you read in the Bible, from the north, it's Babylon. And those are the guys that have most recently held you captive. So that's what you've got. You've got the, the Egyptians and the Babylonians, these two nations that have historically caused you problems. 
And God is sending his, these chariots, his divine warriors, to the north and to the south. We don't know what happens to the red horse, but the white and the black go north and the dapple goes south. And at the end, it's a really interesting phrase. The Spirit of the Lord is given rest. The Holy Spirit's given rest. Because of whatever these chariots do to the north, then the Spirit of God is able to rest, which again is an interesting phrase. So what are you hearing? You're with Zachariah at Starbucks or Chick-fil-A or wherever you eat breakfast on February 20th. And he's like, you, I had quite a night. Eight visions. And he starts telling you all these things. All of these visions. What are you hearing from him? The first vision I want to remind you of, it's important. I think if we can get the first vision, then we can get the eighth. I think they, they go together. They're bookends. Introduction and conclusion. Let me remind you, during the night I had a vision, and there before me was a man mounted on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in a ravine, and behind him were red, brown, and white horses. So that kind of sounds like the eighth vision again, some similarities. I said, what are these, my Lord? And the angel said, I'll show you what they are. The man standing among the myrtle trees explained, these are the ones the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. And they reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees, we've gone throughout the earth and found the whole world at rest and in peace. So there's that idea again of rest. So this time we have the world is at rest and in peace. And the angel of the Lord said, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah, which you've been angry with these 70 years? So the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. Then the angel who was speaking to me said, proclaim this word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I'm very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, and I'm very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they went too far with the punishment. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I'll return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt, and the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Proclaim further, this is what the Lord Almighty says. My towns will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. So if you're listening to Zechariah that morning and he's telling you everything, that first vision, what I think you're hearing is God sent out messengers to gather data, information, intelligence. Because what we see is these messengers coming back to God. We see them coming back with a report. Horses are fast, and so that's kind of the picture there. You've got these messengers that went out, and now they're coming back. Think military terminology, Lord Almighty, Eugene Peterson translates, translates that phrase, God of the angel armies. It's this idea, it's God as the commander-in-chief of an army. That's how he's referred to in this first vision. So you have this God of the angel armies, this commander-in-chief, receiving reports from his messengers who went out, his scouts that went out. And they come back with a report, and the report is, all of the world is at rest in peace. But God is not at rest in peace. God's stirred up. He's jealous for his people, and he's angry at the nations. The world may be at rest in peace, but God's not because things aren't the way he wants them to be. He's jealous for his people, and he's angry with the nations. And then visions 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7 is God saying, here's what I'm going to do. Because I'm jealous for my people, and because I'm angry with the nations, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to judge the nations. That's vision two. I'm going to rebuild the temple. I'm going to rebuild Jerusalem. I'm going to dwell with y'all again. I'm going to anoint Joshua and Zerubbabel, my two leaders, to lead you in this rebuilding process. I'm going to forgive your sins. I'm going to invite you to participate. That's visions three, four, five, six, and seven. We've looked at all of those. 
And then vision eight, similar to vision one. It's a bookend. It's the conclusion. Instead of messengers coming to God and giving him a report, we have warriors being sent from God to go to the nations. And when they go, whatever it is that they do, it results in God having rest. Vision one, God is stirred up. Vision eight, God is at rest. That word rest in vision eight uh, has uh, military connotations. It's how you would feel after you defeated your enemies and you were secure. That's what that word rest means in vision eight. So after these angel armies, whatever they are, have gone out and taken care of business in Egypt and in Babylon, then God's spirit's at rest. If you're listening to Zechariah that first morning, it's going to encourage you a lot. You're a ragged group of people. You're a small minority. You're surrounded by enemies. You've got a foreign king. You're trying to rebuild this temple, which is a massive undertaking, ton of work. And what you hear God say is, I, I know. I've gathered all the information. And the, the nations may be at rest, but I'm not. I'm stirred up. I'm fired up. I'm upset. I'm jealous for my people, and I'm angry at the nations. And so this is what I'm going to do. And you can count on it. I'm going to judge the nations that oppressed you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to rebuild the temple. I'm going to restore your city. I'm going to dwell with you again. And I'm going to do all of that. To the, and then I'm going to be at rest, which is a way of God kind of saying it's a done deal. You can count on it because then I will rest. It's a great picture. What I want to do is put Zechariah and Haggai, we've talked about them for the last two months, in a broader context. So Isaiah 40 to 66. If you need something to read this week, read those. Some of the best, most encouraging chapters. It's hard to say best in the Bible. That's all good, right? So the most encouraging chapters in all of the Old Testament. Isaiah 40 to 66. And it's written about our guys. It's written about our people here, these returnees. And it's written well in advance. 170 years before Zechariah has his visions, God speaks to Isaiah about the exact same group of people and about the exact same time in history. It's 170 years in advance. God is saying, here's, here's what I'm going to be doing, and here's how you guys need to be responding. And I want to read you two verses from Isaiah 62, tucked in the middle of that section that's, that it's about the people that we've been looking at. I've posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest. That's God. Give God no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. So again, that's talking about our folks, our time in history, our people God's posted watchmen on the walls. So cities have four walls to protect them. You can't see through bricks, so you put somebody on top of the wall. That's the watchman. And their job is to look out and see who's coming. Is it a friend or is it an enemy? Do we open the gate and let them in or do we get swords because they're coming to attack us? And those guys, got to, they, they're working 24 hours a day because you don't want to get snuck up on at night. So you've got watchmen on the walls. And in the Old Testament that became really quickly attached to prophets. Prophets were watchmen on the walls. That was their responsibility. That was their job, spiritually. Just like a watchman is looking out saying, what is, what's coming to, to our city? And then I need to turn around and let everybody know, friend or enemy. Spiritually, that's what the prophets did. What is God doing? What's coming our way? 
and turn around and tell the people, here's how we need to respond. We need to repent because we're sinning and God's going to judge us. God's going to bless us and we need to prepare for that, whatever it is, the Old Testament prophets. So for us, Haggai and Zechariah, they were watchmen. That was their job. That was their job with these returnees. God put them on the wall of Jerusalem. And they were able to see, because God let them see, here's what's happening. Here's what's going on that y'all can't see because you're you're so busy rebuilding this temple, which is great and it's good. And I'm going to kind of pull you back and let you get a broader picture of what God is doing through your work. Super encouraging for them. Give yourselves no rest and give God no rest. That's talking about prayer. Those who call on the name of the Lord. Calling on the name of the Lord is another way of saying praying. That's what we do when we pray. We call on the name of the Lord. How do we give God no rest? This isn't the right word, it's, but it's the one I'm going to use. It's pestering. God, 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 God. Are you going to, it's like, are you going to do this now? There's work to be done, and you haven't done it. So I'm not giving you a break until you finish. I'm going to keep pestering you until you do the things that you said you were going to do. Establish Jerusalem. You said you were going to do that. It's not done yet. It's still a wreck. Everything's in rub- everything is rubble. And so until that work's done, I'm going to be tugging on your robe. Those of you who've had little kids, you know what that's like. And I think that's the picture there for us. That's what the prophets did. That ministry in the Old Testament that was reserved for that special group of people, the prophets, in the New Testament, it's applied to all of us. Prophets watched and prophets prayed. That was their job. You're a watchman. You see what's coming. You let us know what that is. And you pray. You pray to God for us. Jesus says, watch and pray so you don't enter temptation. Jesus says, watch and pray because you don't know when I'm coming back. Colossians 4 says, be devoted to prayer and always watchful. What is true of this one group of people, the prophets in the Old Testament, is true for all of us in the New. All of us are called to watch and to pray. Now, I do think there are people who, um, they have kind of a special gift there, like in our Stonebridge language, we would say that's kind of their deal or that's their calling. We're all called to share the gospel, but there's some people who are evangelists. They're especially gifted in that area. And I would say the same thing here. We're all called to watch and pray, but there are certain people who have, maybe we'll call it more of a prophetic bent, and, they're, and, and maybe they can see a little farther. Maybe that's a way of saying it. Their, their sight in, is a little bit broader, and it's a little bit farther than the rest of us. In 2020, we see the need for that. It's always important, but global pandemic and global recession and national tension around racial inequality and injustice and a presidential election and Supreme Court justice nominee and Braves blowing it in the National League Championship Series. We want to know, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? We see the importance of prophets. And so if that's you and you know that's you, if that's how God has wired you, then keep it up. Like we need you. We need to know what you're seeing. Absolutely. But that doesn't let the rest of us off the hook because all of us are called to watch and to pray. That's for every one of us. The spirit that came on Haggai and Zechariah in the Old Testament, if you're following Jesus, lives within you. That's the Holy Spirit. You have the same access. I would say you have better access to the Father than they did because of the cross, because of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. 
He's our Father, and He wants to let us know what He's doing. This is not about predicting the future at all. This is just about having a sense of what God is doing and then responding to that. So, briefly, are you watching and are you praying? Are you watching your own heart? Proverbs, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. When was the last time you asked God to show you, where am I vulnerable? If the enemy's prowling around like a lion and he's looking for somebody to devour, is he looking at me? Where are the places in my own life where I'm vulnerable to temptation or being attacked by the enemy? If you think about your, your heart as a city, where's my wall broken down? It could be an area of sin in your life. And if so, you need to repent. It could be an area of immaturity in your life. And if so, you need to grow. It could be an area of woundedness in your life. And if so, ask God to heal you. It could be an area of loss in your life. And if so, you need to grieve. We don't have time to dig into all four of those. But I would say begin to ask the question, are you watching your own heart? God, show me. Where am I vulnerable? Where am I vulnerable to the enemy? What about the people that you love? Think about the four or five or six or eight people that you love the most. Have you asked the Lord, what are you doing in their life? Are you a watchman on their walls? Not just for yourself, are you a watchman for them? Those of you who are married, when was the last time you asked the Lord what he was doing in the life of your spouse? Not the last time you said, God, will you do this in the life of my spouse? But God, what are you doing in the life of my spouse? And how do I support that? How do I cooperate? I don't want to be one more thing piled on top. How do I come alongside what you're doing? When was the last time, parents, you asked God, what are you doing in the lives of my kids? And I think the older they get, the more important this is. God, what are you doing in the lives of my children? Not this is what I want you to do in the lives of my children, but what are you doing? Our tendency as parents is we want to Make it whatever it is. We want to make it better. And I would say God is much more interested in making him better or making her better than making it better all the time. So we can get sideways with God when we're trying to fix it and he's trying to grow him or her. And sometimes pain is necessary for that. Are you asking him, what are you doing in the lives of my parents? What are you doing in the lives of my friends? This is, God is not going to tell you their dirt. He's not going to tell you their secrets. He's not going to tell you their sins. That's not what he's doing. But he will give you a sense of what he's doing in their life so that you can come alongside. What about the other areas where you have influence? In your sorority, are you asking, God, what are you doing among this group of girls? In your school, God, what are you doing here? In your office, on Delk Road, God, what are you doing in this place? And what does it look like for me to cooperate with that? He wants you to know. Again, it's not about predicting the future. You have a father who is at work, and he wants his sons and his daughters to be a part of that enterprise. And he will tell you. He's not going to embarrass anyone else by, tell, by revealing things to you that he hasn't already revealed. You don't need to worry about that. It's not going to get weird in that way. You'll just have a sense. We have an election coming up. What about asking God what he's doing in our country? Asking God, what are you doing in our city? And which of these candidates is, is the most aligned 
with what you're doing in our country and what you're doing in our city, whether I like them or not is irrelevant at some point. God, what are you doing? And how do I cooperate with that? Which of these boxes do I check? Are you asking him that question? It's watch and pray. It's not watch and meddle. It's not watch and scold. It's not watch and manipulate. It's not watch and post. It's not watch and rant. It's not watch and tell everybody else what to do. When God reveals, then you pray. That's what we do. Wear yourselves out. Don't give yourself any rest and don't give God any rest. Well, God already knows. Of course he does. He's God. Prayer is not telling God something he doesn't already know. It's inviting God to get involved. That's what we're doing. Got to have this sense that this is what you're wanting to do in the lives of my children. I have this sense this is what you're wanting to do in my office. And so I'm going to ask you to do that. I'm not going to start a petition. I'm not going to sit anybody down. I'm not going to try to make any changes. I'm just going to pray. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give myself no rest. And I'm going to give you no rest. Matthew 6, I'm going to ask and keep on asking and seek and keep on seeking and knock and keep on knocking until you do something, until you do the things that you said you would do. Those things that I feel like you showed me until that work is done. This is me tugging on your robe, knocking on the door. Luke 11, Jesus is teaching his disciples about prayer. And he tells a parable at the kind of in the middle of it. After he gives the Lord's Prayer, you know that prayer. He tells a parable about someone who shows up at a friend's house at midnight, which is annoying. It is. You want anybody coming to your house at midnight? You make me mad. You come to my house at midnight. Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight. And you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has, came to, has come to me. I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, your Bible may say boldness or persistence, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. That's what Jesus is looking for. He's not looking for eloquence. He's not looking for emotion. He's not looking for volume. What he's looking for is persistence, this bold persistence. Are you willing to show up at somebody's house at midnight and then say, give me some food? I had some people come and I was unprepared. That's what you're asking. That's what the guy's asking. Bread is made every day. It's eaten every day. The guy doesn't have any bread, most likely. You're banging on the door. Everybody sleeps in the same room. You're waking up his wife. You're waking up his kids. That level of boldness, shamelessness, who, asks, who does that? And what Jesus is saying is that, that's what God's looking for from you. That level of shameless audacity, boldness and persistence. I'm going to keep knocking until you answer the door. Watch and pray. Ask God, what are you doing in my own heart? Where am I vulnerable? God, what are you doing in the lives of those that I love the most? What are you doing in these other areas of my life where I have influence? And I don't want to know so I can hang anything over anybody's head. And I don't want to know because I want to manipulate people. And I don't want to know because I want some level of position. Or, it's none of that. I want to know so I can pray. And I'm going to give myself no rest. So you think about that. Prayer is always a sacrifice. 
I don't know how else you can pray without sacrificing. Prayer takes time. And so the time that you give praying is time that you're not doing something else. You're, you're not sleeping or you're not watching TV or you're not relaxing. There's something that you're not doing because you're praying. I hadn't figured out how to do it where it's not a sacrifice. Multitasking is a myth. You're dividing your energy. It's better to do that than to do nothing. Pray while you're doing something else. That's better than nothing. But at some point, there's concentrated times of prayer where that's all you're doing. And it's always a sacrifice. You're either going to be tired or you're going to be hungry. You're going to give up some level of entertainment, something else that you wanted to do. There's, and that's just reality. That's, not, that's just reality. Give yourself no rest and give God no rest. Don't let him off the hook, if I can say it that way. He said, these are the things I'm going to do. And you say, well, why isn't he doing it? I don't know. That's another sermon for another day. Why he doesn't do it immediately. Why we have to ask more than once. I don't know. But that's what he says. He responds to persistence, Luke 18. He responds to shameless audacity, Luke 11. He's given every one of us access to him. He wants, he's saying to us, regardless of how old you are, I want you to know what I'm doing. I'm going to share. You're going to get to see where this whole thing is going. And then you get to pray for those things to happen. It's a pretty incredible privilege. And we don't want to miss it. Let's pray. This is how I want you to respond. The first thing, I don't want you to feel guilty. It's not helpful. I do want you to feel conviction around this calling on your life to be a watchman. I'm not talking about the special, those kind of special folks, the prophetic people. If that's you, that's great. And we want to bless you in that work. And you may want to re-up with that with the Lord. I'm talking to the general group here. That's for all of us. He's posted you on a wall. The wall of your own heart. He's posted you on the wall of the lives of those that you love the most. And he's posted you on the wall of the places where you have influence. So I want you to ask him, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? What's coming our way? Is it friend or enemy? How do we prepare? I think it's okay to ask this. God, where's the devil at work? You can get tripped up in that. There's got to be a level of maturity. We want to know where we're vulnerable, God. You can ask him that. And then he's, as he begins to reveal those things to you, your response, again, it's to pray. It's not to meddle. It's not to manipulate. It's not to get self-righteous and judgy, tell everybody what they should be doing. It's to start tugging on God's robe. It's to give yourself no rest. 
and him no rest until he's done those things that he's shown you he wants to do. And this is for everybody. If you're following Jesus, regardless of how young or old you are, regardless of uh, whether you feel like you know how to pray or not, that's, that's all irrelevant. If you're following Jesus, you've been adopted into the family of God, you're a son or a daughter, and this is part of your inheritance. And I would say it's also part of your responsibility. So God, would you help us? Would you help each one of us, children, students, and adults, to all recognize this incredible privilege and responsibility of being watchmen? Would you give us a sense of what you're doing super practically as we approach an election and we've got to make decisions in the next week or so? Would you show us what you're doing in our city, in county, in nation, and which box on the ballot is most conducive to what you're doing? God, would you show us what you're doing in our own homes? Would you show us what you're doing in our schools and in our offices? We don't want to have anything on anybody. That's not the deal. We want to pray. We want to see you working. We want to see your kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. God, I pray that each one of us would leave this place with a a deeper sense, maybe even a deeper commitment to being watchmen. And there's a cost involved, 100%. And we'd be willing to pay that price. Whatever it means to give ourselves no rest. God, we would do that. For the sake of seeing your kingdom come more fully. Amen. So we're going to have a chance to pray. We've got a few minutes. The altar here will be open. You can come forward and kneel or stand, whatever's best for you. And some categories. Some of you just need to come and pray for whatever it is that God showed you. He showed you, gave you some insight into something that's going on and you need to come and pray for that person or that situation. You absolutely do that. I think for some of you, there may just need to be a bit of a commitment to saying, I'm, I, have, I kind of dropped the ball on this. Or maybe you just didn't know. Like, I didn't know that was part of my thing. And it is part of your thing. And so maybe you want to come forward and publicly, just that we've talked before, just the physical act of responding can kind of solidify some commitments that we make in our heart. And I would encourage you to do that. Just come forward as a sign of saying, I'm going to, I'm going to function as a watchman. I recognize that's part of God's calling on my life and I want to do that. You may have something else going on that's great as well. And we'll just come alongside behind you and we'll put a hand on your back and we'll pray for you as you respond to the Lord. And Bo will dismiss us in a couple of minutes. You guys, come on. Hey guys, we're glad that you could be able to join us this morning. Um, and so we're sorry about the, the technical difficulties that uh, we did have. Um, I'm glad you guys were able to join <clears throat> uh, this powerful message from Zechariah 6. Um, and I know that God is stirring a lot of your hearts um, and especially to further press into prayer. Um, and the two questions that David mentioned that uh, I just want to be able to bring back uh, to your attention is, are you watching and are you praying? And especially around this idea of of watching, are you watching, Um, and the idea of repositioning our hearts and our mind to the Lord is absolutely necessary in that process. We do have to look away from the things that distract 
from the problems of the culture, of the things that do draw us in and reposition our heart and our eyes and our mind to the Lord. Um, and so I encourage you just to be able to think about that a little bit more on that idea of repositioning and ask the Lord, do I need to reposition my heart and my eyes back to you? Um, and then the second part, I really would encourage you pick uh, something that one of those three categories that David mentioned that you want to uh, spend some time with the Lord asking God, what are you doing uh, in my heart? God, what are you doing in my loved ones and my family? And then, God, what uh, are you doing in my areas of influence? Pick one of those this week. Spend some time allowing the Lord to speak to you um, about what he is doing in your life. And then um, if, if, those, <laughs> if that seems a little too unstructured, I do want to just throw this out there to you. That Tuesday mornings, we are praying 6.30, 7.30 every week. And so if you want something that is really structured, that does really say, okay, alarm clock's going to go off, and we're going to jump into this time of prayer with other people. I encourage you to come up to the church 6.30 to 7.30. Uh, we will be praying um, and joining together. And so if you need a little bit more structure, if that would be helpful. You are welcome. We invite you to come up on, on Tuesdays every week. Um, I have Erica Fulgham with me today, who's going to also share with us. Erica, I'm glad you could be here. Thank you. Um, first of all, I just want to say um, I woke up to a really intense, wonderful dream uh, this morning, and uh, there was a really important sentence in it that I wanted to say, um, which is that you belong, um, and, and God saying, you belong with me. Um, Aside from that, kind of to piggyback on what Matt was saying, um, in this idea of prayer and being a watchman and pressing in, um, I actually think about um, my husband who's in commercial construction. And something that I've learned about commercial construction is that before the ground is ever broken, um, there's months and sometimes years of preparation that goes into that. Um, with construction, there's um, you have to hire management. You ha there has to be blueprints. There's plans. Um, you have to hire subcontractors, electricians, plumbing, flooring, all these different things. And at any of those given moments, if you looked at that building, um, we would think nothing's happening. And if there's an area I think where you've been praying for a while um, and you feel like, Lord, I'm looking at the building and I don't see the fruit yet, um, I think the Lord would want to say, don't give up and don't stop asking. Um, just like construction, um, he's, he's never not working. He, he's, never, he's never not working. There are blueprints and um, he's doing all the work right now as we speak. So. Um, I just would say don't give up and just persevere and keep praying and keep asking. It's the most important part. Awesome, Erica. Thank you so much for sharing. And thank you guys for, for jumping online, watching with us, engaging with us in worship, prayer, and in studying the word. Um, encourage you guys uh, to spend more time in, in these areas this week. And I hope you guys have a great day.